Well, good morning, everybody. It is, it is good to see you all here as we are January 20th, 2019. Uh, this morning, we are uh, continuing our series in the, this idea of the box of not yet. And this idea for the series is just this, this idea that we have so many things in our lives that we say, God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. And we say this idea of, Lord, I'm going to do that, but, but not yet. Let me work on myself. Let me get my life established. Let me get my career figured out. Let me get my house with a picket fence and everything that I want exactly the way I want it, how I want it. And then after I've asked you for all the blessing, then maybe at that point, I'll give back to you what you've always wanted in the first place. And so it's this idea of there are things in all of our lives that we say we want to give to God as a gift. We put it in a box and then we say, not yet. We put it to the side. And the reason we talk about this is that there are areas in which that are vital to our faith, vital to a walk with God, that we don't always do because we're always putting it off or, or we'll find excuses or we'll say, well, God can't use me yet because I'm imperfect. That's the story of the church. That's the story of God's people. None of us are perfect, but we've been changed by God to make a change in this world. And it allows us to have the opportunity to be called to be witnesses and to do these things. And so... Last, uh, the first week, we talked about this idea of sharing our faith and said that if we were to keep one resolution this year, may it not be just to make our own lives better, but may it be to make Jesus better known in the lives of others. That we would share our faith, that we would see where God would have us, that we would make connections with people who are far from God and, and walk them in that journey of what it means to truly trust him. That we would live a life that would be so curious that people would want to find out about Jesus because of how we live. But that when the moment came, we would have, as, as David read earlier from 1 Peter, we would have a reason to be able to explain or a proof to explain the hope and why we have it. Then last week, we talked about this idea of, of community and, and not just going alone, but saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Christian transformation happens through association with others, not isolation from others. And recognize that we cannot do Christianity alone. We cannot do our walk alone. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's something that we need to be able to have all of us coming alongside. And that when the body of Christ comes together the way it's supposed to, the way that's been designed and created by God to do, it's, I, I played the flute for five years, I know. Um, and I play the flute, and by itself, the flute can sound, can sound fine when others play it. But, but, and, but how much more beautiful is a flute when it joins into the chorus of other instruments, of woodwinds, of brass, of percussion. And when it's all together, we are more than the sum of our parts. And so for us, not isolating from others, but having associate, associating with others is how we get this community and become the body of Christ that God has called us to become. So with that said, um, I want to be able to dive into our idea this morning is about taking steps to grow. Um, and how we say, I'll take steps to grow, Lord, but not yet. And what does that look like? And why do we do that? Will you join me in a word of prayer? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for uh, the time of worship we have earlier through uh, singing, the time of worship we have through communion, the time of worship we have through giving. Um, Lord, and now for the time of worship we have as we dive into your word. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to every person who's in this room and every person that's listening online later. We're grateful that all of each and every person is prayed for, cared for, and loved before they even hear my voice. And I pray that would resonate deep into their souls this morning. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So every once in a while, we have these kind of sermons in which uh, I pull up a, a, it's not a chair, it's a stool. I pull up a stool and we just kind of do some, do some work in the background and, and kind of do some teaching in, in the... Uh, behind the scenes, and then kind of bring us to our point. So today's one of those. So uh, if you have your pens ready, if you followed notes, we're going we're gonna to go through them relatively quickly today, uh, but I just want to give you a little bit of a signal um, so that you guys can kind of work out the muscle that does this, because I don't know about you guys, but ever since like texting and things like that and emails, I'll like start writing in my journal. I'm like, why is my hand sore? I'm writing words with pen. This is not a thing that should cause sore. Anyways, that was uh, off topic. Going uh, this morning, there's this idea of, of I'm in this place where uh, I think I've shared with you guys kind of here and there that uh, one of the things I really want to do is, is to lose weight, to get healthier again. Uh, years ago, I, 2015, I, I had weighed the most I'd ever weighed in my life. And I looked down and I saw on the scale a number I never thought that I would see uh, underneath me. And so I end up doing Weight Watchers, and I end up being able to lose uh, 42 pounds that year, uh, slowly but surely, and, and it was good. But the problem is, is that I didn't stick with it, right? The people who do Weight Watchers and stick with it, they have great success, and I didn't. And so slowly starting to gain much of that back to the point where I'm not where I was, but I'm definitely not where I want to be. And so you get to this point where you want to find out how do I improve? How do I get better? How do I get healthier? And you start to listen to what other, you know, quote unquote experts have to say. And so you look at different dietary things. Like, you know, for a while it was like you couldn't eat any carbs or bread. And now there's keto, which like you can only eat like fat. I'm like, that sounds nice. But you have um, things where it's like, okay, then eat paleo and eat organic. And I don't even know what these words mean. But what I know is that, you know, there's this idea of, there's so many different things that people say. And, and recently I was looking up that people talk about based on your different body type, whether you're endomorph, ectomorph, or anthropomorph. That's not what it is, but I don't remember. But it's this idea of when you, when you get to those points that there's certain foods that you should eat because you have a certain body type. And I'm like, ah, it's so overwhelming to hear what all these experts say. And so I go into the gym now, and, and it's one of those where, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my elliptical, and I'll do a circuit training every once, like, three days a week, I'll do one of those exercises, but it's not like I'm feeling stronger. It's not like I'm feeling overall better. I'm just doing it because I know I should do this. But the problem is, is that for us, how often do we look at experts, quote-unquote experts, to tell us how to get better? You know, maybe it's financial experts who know how to save and that way you can make your budget or you can use your, your income and make your budget work better for you and you can plan and save. That's an awesome thing. Maybe for some of us, it's this idea of health and it is nutrition or it is uh, working out or things like that. And so you want to find ways to improve there and you listen to experts and what they have to say. And maybe some of you, it's you look at someone who has a mic type taped to his face on a Sunday morning and say, okay, so that's an expert and, and I'm going to let them tell me what to say rather than have to f work at it throughout the week. How often do we give up because we see, oh, you know, Weight Watchers doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Well, it works 
when you commit to it. It works if you stick to it. How often do we say that the problem is that something doesn't work? When the truth is that the problem is that we aren't working to make it work. We say something doesn't work, but the truth is that we're not working on what people are saying. That the experts, quote unquote experts, are telling us how to do things. And so I'm going to take a moment outside of health and finance and those sorts of things, but in our walk with God, in our relationship with him, you all, your job is to, yes, listen to what we say here on stage, but 1 John 4 talks about testing the spirits. James 3.1 talks about how as teachers, we are held to higher standards. And so your job is to be able to go and to read the, the scripture and not just to take what someone with a mic taped to his face says, but to see what does the Lord say, to think critically, to dive deeply, and to be changed because God is the one who does the changing, not someone on a stage. That God is the one who was with you all the time, not me. You wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that. And so it's just one of those ideas where we talk about this. Our best way to grow is our main point today. Is that our best way to grow isn't to just listen to what people say. It's spending time with God and choosing to listen and obey. The best way to grow isn't to listen to what people say. It's spending time with God and choosing to listen and obey. What this does is it takes away the experts. Yes, we can still get advice from people. We can still learn and listen and things like that. But in the end, if we were to go to every single quote-unquote expert to tell us how to live, our lives would just be kind of all sporadic everywhere, trying a new fad, trying a new idea. When in reality, so much of what we need to learn comes not from listening to what other people say, but listening to what God has to say. Not just listening it and allowing it to go one ear out the other, but to obey what it says, to follow through, and not to say, oh, well, that God thing, we say it doesn't work, when really we're not working on doing what he says. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take some time. We're going to take some time in Matthew 13 today. Uh, we're going to look at the parable of the sower. Uh, we're going to look at a little section in between about why it is that Jesus speaks in parables. And then we're going to look at the explanation of the parable of the sower. And it's going to be a 23-verse uh, journey together. So like I said, we're going to buckle in. But uh, I, I believe that there's some good stuff for us here this morning. So what I want to do is I want to start reading the parable of sower, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. We'll take a pause there and we'll dive in a little, few more things. It says this, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the sh soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed, verse 8, fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And we have this moment where, you know, you can kind of understand that. He goes to explain it, but he's speaking this to a very large crowd. And to so many people, in fact, that he had to go on a boat in order to, to have the space, in order to be heard. And the acoustics of the water made a boat a, a good place to teach. But we look at this question that we're going to start diving into for the next few verses. And I wonder if it's a question that, that you all can re relate to or resonate to. That why does God seem so intent on hiding? 
Why does he seem so intent on hiding? We're going to dive into the passage, but as you're writing that down and we're processing that, uh, it's, it's this idea where if you have younger kids, you play hide and seek with them. And a few nights ago, um, Shaylin, Elise, and I, uh, that was a little early. That was a little early, but that was fun. Um, so Shaylin, Elise, and I, we ended up playing uh, outside. And like, we would try to like hide and you would hear like the, the bushes and stuff like that. And so like, there's this difference. Like when you're a kid or when you're playing with kids, is the fun in hiding or is the fun in being found? You start, you start like giggling when you hear someone coming by, right? Like you're just kind of like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I wonder where they are. And so this one was Shaylin years ago, actually, at our old place. She just is holding up a pillow and she's like, daddy, I'm in here. And I turn a corner and I'm like, where are you? I can't tell. Um, and it's just so cute because kids want to be found, right? I remember hiding when I was a kid at my, uh, my elementary junior high school, and I hid in a bush, and I'm like, and I, they didn't find me for one. I'm like, I am really good at hiding. And then I had this fear, what if they're not even looking? <laughs> and you never know. So it's this idea of, all oh, the sympathy points, thank you. Um, but no, it's this idea of like, when it comes to hide and seek, when you're older, you want to hide to be hidden. When you have a childlike understanding, you hide, but you want to be found. And this idea is, why does it God seem so intent on hiding? We, we look at this idea that we say here, you'll see throughout Scripture, we'll go through a few verses that talks about how God is hidden. And why is that? So the first point, like, why, is it, why does God seem intent on hiding is this. God has made love the highest value. And genuine love must come with a genuine chance to reject. That there's an idea that, you can't force someone to love you. You could try, you could try to say you have to, but, but then the love, there's not really a genuine love there. That love has to come from the ability to accept and to respond or to decline and, and reject. And so in order for love to be the highest value, God wants to see who really loves me. Who, who's going to be able to want to keep looking we're going to get that to a moment, but let's just take a couple of ideas of the hiddenness of God. We look at this idea of uh, how Jesus was born. Was he born in a castle for all to see? No, he was born in a manger in Bethlehem so that only a few who were seeking and saw the light or heard the angels would actually take the steps to find God when he seemed to be hiding. We look at Jeremiah 29, 13, the idea that you will seek me if you find me, if you seek for me, search for me with your whole heart. That Matthew 7, 7 says, ask, seek, and knock. This idea that what will be given to you if you look for it and you seek for it, you will find. Then we look at this idea how uh, 1 Corinthians 1, when, when Paul talks about how, you know, these things are hidden from the wise of the world so that those who are unwise are able to experience it and how God seems to hide from people sometimes. Isaiah 45, 16 in, in, this, in the screen says, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Genesis 28, 16 says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 26, At the time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? Little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. That God 
in the scripture, are t- there are times when he is on Mount Sinai and he is very clear and he is, has a theophany, a, an example of an experience of God that people can see. There are times in which, though, he knows that if he forces everybody, says, everybody, I'm here, that still doesn't always develop love. We hear people say, how come God seems to hide right now? Why doesn't he show himself? If he were just to come down and say, I am the Lord, how many more people would follow him? And that that makes sense. But the flip side of it is, is that when the Israelites had those kind of moments, when God would create the Red Sea split in half so the whole nation could go through after already doing 10 plagues, when he comes down at Mount Sinai and says, here are the 10 commandments, the people were so afraid that they, they didn't approach the mountain yet, There are still moments when they rebelled and the earth opens up and swallows the rebellious. I mean, there are so many things in which God showed up in a very clear and bold and obvious way. And yet, the story of the Israelites, the story of God's people is the same story as ours. And no matter how real God has revealed himself to be, even they still rebelled. Even they still had their moments where they doubted. They'd seen the Red Sea and they said, yet... We can't go into the promised land. The people are too tall. Rather than recognize the people might be big, but our God is bigger. And so we see these ideas of there's this hiddenness that takes place because even if we had seen things so obviously, it doesn't mean that we're going to follow. So he's created love as the highest value. And a genuine love must come with a genuine chance to reject. Number two is that God wants to know who loves him enough to seek him despite his hiddenness. Let's read verses 10 through 17 together in Matthew 13. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But God wants to know who loves him enough to seek him despite his hiddenness. Recognize in verse 10. The whole crowd, there was such a vast amount of people there that were listening that the crowd was there, yet only the disciples come to him and actually ask him the hard question. What did your parable mean? Why do you speak to them in parables? Why not speak more clearly? They have this moment where they're the only ones who truly care to know the meaning of the parable. And so we look at that idea, and then in verses 11 and 12, it talks about how what has... Or those who have a lot, more will be given. And for those of us, that rubs us the wrong way because we think we use, you hear terms about abundance and you think those uh, are going to give more who have a lot. And, but it says in verse 11, to be clear, that this is not referring to finances or wealth or things like that. This is very clearly referring to the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And so Leon Morris in his uh, commentary says, when anyone uses the spiritual truth he has, that truth grows. More is added to it. By contrast, if he does not use it, he finds that it vanishes away little by little. That whoever has this knowledge, whoever follows God, whoever seeks him enough to ask questions and then 
doesn't just listen to it, but listens to it and obeys what he says, more spiritual knowledge comes, more wisdom comes, more growth happens. And so we have to recognize that maybe for some of us, we've heard knowledge, but we've not acted upon it. We've listened, yet we've not obeyed. We've listened to pastors talk or, or people talk. And instead of diving deeper into checking with the word of God, we just say, okay, well, that must be my, my, my good thing for the week and, and that's it. But instead, my job is to do the best I can to relay the message that God has shared to share with everybody. And your job is to say, how does that work within my life? Because I can do a presentation of information, but only you can do the application that provides transformation. I can't do that for you. No one can. Number three, he establishes our relationship with him on faith. That when, John, when Jesus prays in John 17, he says, blessed are those who are, don't even see me yet, yet will still believe the message that I have. That we have not seen Jesus. We did not see his ministry live, yet we know that he is alive. And that changes everything. That our relationship with him is on faith. Because if God always were to make himself visible, then again, there's not that chance to genuinely love him. We could still reject him. And yet, if there's too much, uh, if it's a forced belief and there's no faith there, then that violates the ability to have the freedom to turn and say that he is who he says he is and we love him and we choose to follow him. He calls out to us and we respond to that call. But again, in the same way that love is the highest value, our relationship with him is built on faith. Faith in his word, faith in his son, faith in the Holy Spirit, faith in what he's doing. So we don't always get all the answers. And that's why sometimes God seems hidden because we don't have all the answers all the time. Yet, when we step forward of faith, what is the definition of faith? It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And Hebrews eleven six 6 talks about that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then lastly, number four, talks about how God doesn't just want our heads, he wants our hearts too. Notice that in the verse that Jesus quotes, it comes from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, but in verse 15 of, of this section, it says, for the people's heart has been calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. And, and they, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. He wants just not our head knowledge. He wants our hearts. And if we turn with our hearts to him, he, he'll heal. He'll come alongside us. It may not be a quick healing, like we just hope everything comes together right away, but, but it's a healing that will go deeper than the surface and will have a lasting impact. We emphasize this or refer to this rather earlier in Jeremiah 29, 29, 13, that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And, and just to be clear too, heart in the Old Testament doesn't just mean this idea of feelings, that the heart was known as the, as the, the will that is the very core of our being, that it's not just a, I feel God right now. It's that I choose to follow and to listen and obey God even when I don't feel him. So we take heart to be an emotional thing only. It is that, but it's more than that as well. And so he wants not just our heads, not just that we would add information about him in there, but he wants our heart so he could provide true transformation. So with the last few minutes that we have together, how do we grow? How do we grow? We must become good soil. 
There's this passage about this parable of the sower. There's the explanation of it. And then right in the center is the section we were just diving in as to why is God use parables? Why doesn't God be more clear? Why does it seem that he's intent on hiding? But then here's the answer that the disciples get because the disciples asked. That they are the examples of the people who had spiritual knowledge. And because they acted upon it, because they asked, because they dove in more deeply, they were able to get more knowledge and more wisdom and able to dive in deeply. So we look at Matthew uh, 13, 18 through 23. Or let's start, let's start, let's do 16, I'm sorry. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Verse 18, listen, to what, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So the first way that we become good soil is taking each of these different types of soil here and and learning a lesson from it. So the first one is that good soil comes when we go beyond just hearing to understanding. When we go beyond just hearing to understanding. This is the one that's the road, that's the sea that falls on the path. The path was an idea of a road or a highway. It could be something where an actual um, road, but it could also be, there weren't as clearly demarcated lines and, and things like that. So there were times when people would walk through someone's farm, like they would walk through the field, and that would be part of the path to the next place where they needed to go. So then it became just this well-worn path within someone's own farm, but the, when the seed would fall on it, because it was so hardened, it would end up not pr- producing good soil. It refers to people who hear again, but they don't truly understand. I'll use an example of this is that when I was reading a commentary, it talked about this idea that you could look at a, a language. You can look at a language that you do not know, yet you could see it, but you don't truly understand it. So in order to give an example of this, I have a slide here of, of Mandarin Chinese. Uh, just these beautiful characters. It's this beautiful writing. And I have no idea uh, what it says. I can see it, right? We can see it. But unless you know Mandarin, you can't truly understand it. Uh, the next one I have is Russian, another language that it just, it just looks so nice. And again, I don't know any of what that means. And then the most mysterious language of all, at least in my experience, in my life, is emojis. <laughs> Uh, Shaylin wrote, like, this is for daddy, and just like tapped every emoji that there was. I'm like, I can see what those are, but I don't think there's a meaning. I don't understand what it means. You could look at this and you could be like, oh, she just really likes purple, or I don't know. But it's this idea of you could look at something and then not really understand what it's trying to say. Of course, with the emoji, there's no message. The other ones, there are. But we recognize here that we could listen to a sermon. We can hear it. But many of us know there's a difference between hearing something and listening to it. Hearing means that I have been in the presence of your voice speaking in my general direction. 
right? Like I'm in the, the space where I hear it. Listening is this idea of actually taking it in and, and processing it or responding or asking a question to follow up or, or diving in or showing some response. And so we, as good soil, the, the soil along the path can hear it, but doesn't understand. Hears it, but this word understanding in the Old Testament means this idea of truly listening. Listening and obeying. We look at the next point is that good soil comes when we are rooted in God's love. When our identity is not in what we own, our identity is not in what we do, our identity is not found in what other people think of us, our identity is not found in how much money we have in our retirement, what neighborhood we live in, what job we have, what job we want to have. It doesn't matter what school we go to. Our identity is not found in things that we do. Because ultimately, things that we do cannot provide eternity and salvation. Our identity is found in what Jesus did for us. Being rooted and established in God's love, as Ephesians 3.17 talks about. Paul's prayer is that you, that we, would be rooted and established in God's love. So the rocky ground is this idea that there's a thin layer of soil, but underneath is a bedrock. It's an actual rock there. And so that's because there's a thin soil level on top, because the sun is hitting on that thin uh, bedrock underneath, that the rock underneath produces enough heat that the response to the seed is very fast. It's a fast growth because the sun is hot and, and the water is there. And so it, it responds quickly. But because there's no root, it gets blocked off by this bedrock. It gets blocked off to the point where no roots can really be established. They end up being people who receive it with joy, but because there's no root, when the sun comes out, they wither away. When it gets too hot, when things are too tough, when things get, become true trials, we can receive the word with joy, but without the root of being established in God's love, we end up, so many end up falling to the wayside. And it looks so good for a while. And people, here, here's the difficult part, is that many of us, we can go from church to church and say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm quickly sprouting up, but then something happens and we struggle. And then we go to another church and we quickly sprout up and then there's a struggle. Or we could start listening to different pastors or different people and we think, we think that it's an external thing when God still needs to do internal work. Now, does that mean that if you've joined us from another church, I'm speaking negatively? No, not at all. I just want us to have the eyes to see that there are times in which we, all of us, myself included, can blame other people for my own lack of growth. Or I can say that it's someone else's fault when I, again, can't be the one to make the application for you. I'm the only one that can make the application and life change for myself. And same thing goes with you all, with all of us. And so it's just this idea that we can look really healthy because it's a quick sprouting but without that root, without being established in that love, it can be easy for us to fall away. Number three, good soil comes when we avoid being choked out. This is the idea of the thorn, this idea that there were thorns and weeds up amongst it. And so, again, this refers to someone who hears the word, but then has it choked out. There's a genuine desire to believe, but because the, the deceitfulness of riches, the idea that riches can save us, that riches can provide what truly only God can, or the worries of this world, it chokes out the true growth. 
And if you were to name some of the things that our culture struggles with, would it not be riches and worry? Would it not be the deceitfulness of riches, thinking that we can create the American dream and then then when we achieve that, Lord, I'll do good things for you, but not yet. Not until I reach that American dream. Not until I reach the idea that riches can truly make my life rich. When only God can do that. Or the worries of this world. The fact that we fix our eyes on all the things that may never even happen, yet we lean into that more than the God that we know provides for us. Matthew 6.33 talks about, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Earlier in Matthew 6, uh, there's a part where it says that, you know, who by worrying can add a single hour uh, to their life. And there's one version I've seen that says, who by worrying can add one inch to their height? I'm like, I don't know, but I want that one. Like, I want to find out how to do that. (laughs) But this idea that if we get choked out by worry, by deceitfulness of riches, or by listening to experts in areas in which we don't need to follow... That Francis Chan has this idea of, or he's given a quote that's not on the screen, but it's this idea of what's sad is to become great at the wrong things. Mm -hmm. To be known for being great in areas that are not most important, that are temporal, not eternal, that can sprout up quickly but don't have a root. Because here's the the little secret. We can't take our stuff with us. We have our relationship with God, and we're in heaven, we have relationship with others, and then we bring as many people as we can into that relationship. So they were once enemies of God, but they too can sit at the table, and they too can say, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Lastly, good soil comes when we bear fruit by remaining in Jesus. Good fruit, soil comes when we bear fruit. Recognize that we look at John 15, it's not in the notes, but John 15 talks about this idea that if you remain in me and I in you, that you will bear much fruit. Notice that a branch doesn't actually, the branch itself isn't what creates the fruit. It's the, it's the vine that creates the growth and the branch just gets to be connected and remain to the vine and the fruit is born naturally. It doesn't say grow your own fruit. It says you'll be able to bear fruit. And there's a difference there. But this refers to people who hear and understand. They recognize in verse 23 says, who who hears the word and understands it. Leon Morris, he continues this idea of the parable. Why is there a parable of a sower here? Why is there this question about parables here? Why is the parable of the sower here explained? What is the purpose of these verses 10 through 17? He says the parable is a powerful method of teaching, but perhaps some measure of commitment is required in the hearers if they are really to understand what a parable is saying. That when there's a question in the scripture that doesn't make sense to us, we don't just say, okay, I'll just wait for another expert to explain it later. We dive in, we grow, we pour into it. We ask God, we ask him to reveal things. And then it's not that we look to someone else to be an expert as an external example for us, but rather we can become experts in God's word because the same spirit that shows me where to go in these sermons is the same spirit that shows you where to go in your life. It's not different. He wants to speak to you and, and wants you not to just hear it, but to listen to it, to wrestle with it, to obey it even when we don't get it. Because as we'll learn in a moment, this idea of Shema 
Deuteronomy 6 is the Shema prayer. It's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Shema is this word that means hear, but it just means, again, we would say it here just means one ear out the other. The Hebrew understanding of the word hear is to listen and obey to it. It's both and. It's two sides of a train track going in the same direction. It's two oars on a boat both going together, listening and obeying. Not either or, it's both and. So in Exodus 24, 7, it says this. Then he took the book. This is Moses. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Now, the Hebrew here is this, is this phrase talking about we will do and we will obey. Is this phrase, Asashama. And I'm just going to read Rabbi Lawrence Kushner talks about how Israel's combined response was literally, we will do and we will hear. Not we will hear first and then we will do it. We're going to do it first. Understanding comes for, after the fact. We're going to respond and obey first before we even fully understand what God is calling us to do. So this is the people of Israel saying, we will do and then we will understand. Their commitment was to obeying God's word and that did not depend upon their understanding of why they should do it. We want to know, well, God, why should I do that? What's going to be the benefit to me? Or when someone's trying to tell us to do something, it's, well, what's the reason? How's that going to help me? What's that look like? And so with people, think critically. With God, obey wholeheartedly. And figure out where it is that he's calling us to. And And Rabbi Lawrence Kushner says this, some actions simply cannot be understood. Until they are performed, by doing, we understand. That before I had kids, before we had kids, I thought I could know what it was like to be a parent. You could try to parent someone else's kids and say, hey, do that, or you, know, you shouldn't do that. Have you really seen, have you read the thing that you don't do these things, you listen to the experts, and then when you're a parent, it's completely different. And it's not until I was able to be a parent that I could truly understand. Before I'd be like, hey, parents, Take care of your kids when you're in the store. Shouldn't they respect you and not talk and scream? And you're like, now literally it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Some actions simply can't be understood until they are performed. That for us, in order to be the good soil God has called us to be, in order to take the steps to growth that we need to do, There might be some things that God has been calling you to do for a while and you haven't. You might have a consistent quiet time and you might have a consistent time with the Lord and he may say, you need to rectify this relationship. You need to get rid of this habit, this hurt, this hang up, this temptation. You need to respond in this way when someone comes at you a certain way. You need to dive into your word. You need to share with people who are far from God. You need to get connected. And so instead of us saying, yes, Lord, you're telling me to do that, but not yet. What would it look like to just say, yes, Lord. Not the not yet. Yes, Lord, but not yet. Instead of just, yes, Lord. In Jeremiah 4, as we close, Jeremiah 4, I've never noticed this before. Someone shared this with me. Um, as I was studying for this passage, but remember, this is the Jewish people he's talking to, uh, and a Jewish text would have been in their mind. So think about this this context from Jeremiah uh, Jeremiah 4, 3 through 4. It says, this is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you've done. Burn with no one to quench it. 
Isn't it amazing how even when I'm putting this sermon together about listening and obeying, there's a real big temptation for me, like, you should probably just get rid of the burning part. It's so negative. <laughs> but here's the truth, that there, we all know, when we've not followed God, or, or when there are things where we've been unplowed ground, or we've sown among thorns, that there are consequences, that there are times when we've been burned. And sometimes burning is a horrible thing, and it's, it's really bad when it comes to how God works. But sometimes that could be like a fire that refines us if we respond properly. So what steps of growth can we take today? For you, thinking about the different things of soil, what are the steps that you can take today? Perhaps today you see that there's a need to go simply beyond listening or sorry, simply beyond hearing to what experts say and realize that you can truly understand and be an expert too in God's word. It doesn't have to be an external waiting for someone with a mic to talk. It could be listening to how God wants to talk to you. That's available to you. Perhaps for you, God has been hidden to you in this season. And it is so tough because you, you want to have that relationship with him, but you feel like he's gone, he's distant. But perhaps, like a child that was given the, king, the, the wisdom that Jesus talked about, that thank you, Lord, for hiding these things from the rich and the wise, but giving it to the wisdom of a child, that perhaps we must recognize how God, like Shailen, when she's holding a pillow in front of her face, says, Daddy, I'm in here, trying to hide but wanting to be found. Perhaps God is in that place of, will you still step to closer to me even when you don't see me? Will you still hear my voice when all the things you see around you are distant and you feel like I'm gone? Will you still spend time? And trust me, because love is the highest value, and I know you could reject me, but will you trust me? Will you still come to me and have time, and will you seek him despite the fact that you don't see him right now? Perhaps today some of you are sitting here and, and you're being choked out by worries, and the deceitfulness of riches. And yes, there can be good things that come, but because the thorns are coming too, Jesus talks about later on that you can't take care of both at the same time, that we have to wait and be able to take away the good and the bad sometimes. So what we look at here is, what are those things that are holding on to you? What are those things that are choking out your joy? Is it comparison to what other people have? Is it comparison to what other people think? and not being as popular or loved as you think you ought to be? Is it comparison to the fact of you're not at the job you want and the position you want or where you thought your life would be at this point in your life? And then you're choked out because you think that the worries of this world will help you be more prepared to face this world. But the worries of this world don't add an hour to our lives, nor do they add a single inch to our height. And so are you being choked out? And if that's you, taking time with God alone and asking for forgiveness, asking for his fullness, and asking him to move so that that thorns can be removed so we could plow our unplowed ground and we would not sow among thorns. And then lastly, maybe perhaps you recognize your need to remain in God, to listen to him, to obey what he says. Because it's not that what he says through his word, through his spirit, through the community, through the uh, preaching, whatever it is, it's not that what he says doesn't work. It's whether or not we are willing to work to do what he says. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that we had a, 
a lot of work to do today, Lord, um, to dive in and to go to different sections and to, to take a, a large piece of your scripture, Lord. But I thank you for the fact that, that we see an example of when someone has wanting to know more and wanting to listen and wanting to seek you and asking, why is it, God, that there are times that you're hiding? Why is it that there are times that you are unclear? Why is it that we don't see you all the time always? And, and Lord, so much of that is that you want us to pursue you. You want us to, to reach out to you. You want us to spend time with you. You want us to want to find you. And so, Lord, I pray that there are people in this room or people who are listening online later that are in a place in which they've thought that you were hidden and therefore they've stopped seeking. Lord, I pray that you would stir in a fire, a passion to lean back into you. That if there are people who recognize that this week they just need to set aside a time and not to worry about their schedules, but they need to set aside times to be with you either, either in the morning or throughout at lunchtime or during at night when all the, everyone else is asleep, that they would have that time to remain in you, to be rooted and established in your love. God, I pray that you would reveal that you are the only expert that really matters in any of these areas in life and that you want to share your wisdom, your knowledge, your love with each and every person that is here, that's listening online, that the secrets of the kingdom of God are not for the few that preach, but for everyone so that we can all be people who preach your love to other people. So God, I pray that you would stir within our hearts, show us what we need to do, draw us close to you and help us to take steps to grow recognizing the best way to grow isn't for us just to listen to what other people say, but it's spending time with you, Lord, and choosing to listen and obey. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.